I'm Jackie Manhard. I'm from Boulder, Colorado, and I'm the 2023 women's champion of the Leadville 100 trail run. Congrats on that. It seemed like it was a pretty fun race. It was an amazing race. It's still very surreal to uh, to say that. It's still, even more than a week later, it's still sinking in. So it was an amazing day out there. Yeah, I was reading the article that Trail Runner Mag did on you and JP, and I think you said something like, oh, I felt like a dream the next day or something, right? Yes. Yeah. We had slept like two hours from the time we we actually got to bed and calmed down and woke up the next morning. And it was like, whoa, we're awake. It wasn't just a dream, (laughs) (laughs) but it was definitely, I mean, only in my wildest dreams had I allowed myself to imagine that as an outcome. So it was definitely like a lifelong dream come true for that to happen, to have that kind of day out on a big stage. So really stoked about that. Yeah, definitely. And you came in, what, two hours ahead of the, the next female, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a big day. Yeah, nice. It's a, like a pretty solid gap, yeah. uh, which is awesome, especially out there. Um, I think JP was saying it was 20 degrees warmer than it usually is. Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't heard that stat. Okay. Um, I did know that, I mean, I thought the forecast it was going to get into the 70s, but I heard it was actually closer to 80. Um, but I felt really prepared with like cooling techniques to use in case of the heat. So I didn't feel so bothered by it. I felt like, okay, it's getting hot. I have a plan and it didn't bug me too much, but I have heard that it was a super hot day. Interesting. Well, I definitely want to like talk more about the weather here in a second, but let's, um, let's just go way back, I guess. Like when did Leadville get on your radar? And then like, how has your training been for it? Cause I've read some stuff about you doing like fairly low volume training. Is that correct? That's, that's definitely true. Um, I've thought about Leadville for a long time. I feel like Leadville's the race you know about, even if you're not a runner. It's just so iconic and people people know about it. So I feel like I've I've known about it for so long. And I've lived in Colorado since 2007. So, you know, I've been running these trails for a pretty long time. But it really came on my radar um last year. I, I got an entry ticket last year, but then I got a stress fracture. So I wasn't able to race it last year. I deferred my entry to this year. So, um, you know, I had been really thinking about it specifically for two years, but honestly, like Leadville's a dream race. And I, I feel like I'd heard about it my whole life. Yeah, definitely. Like when I first got into running, everyone would talk about Leadville, Badwater, and then like obviously like Western States, but like. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, to be living and training in Colorado, it's definitely like, oh, a dream race to, to do. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's only a couple hours down the road too to get up to ten. What was it, ten two or ten five or whatever Leadville sits at? And exactly. Then, yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about your training then going into it. Like, is um is David Roche your coach? Is that what I? Read yeah, I worked with David for about three years now, um, and it's amazing to work with him. He's a really really brilliant coach, and he's very good at adapting the training to each specific athlete's strengths and um and needs i guess so what we had seen is that when i was getting up towards 70 miles a week and i was hitting that consistently i was getting injured so um i had had two stress fractures in the same femur within the the course of a year which was a huge red flag like this training approach is not working for my body so we revamped it and um with the with the plan of like not getting too close to 70 miles a week Um, my biggest week coming into Leadville was 65 miles. Um, so, you know, I, I guess, yeah, it was a very low volume approach. All of that was supplemented with biking as well. So all the miles and all the time that I wasn't running, I was putting on, putting in that time on my bike. 
um, and also doing a lot of uphill work, like doing uphill treadmill doubles, um, doing um, uphill speed workouts, because that's a little easier on the body than doing speed work on flat terrain. So um, even though it wasn't a lot of run volume, it was an overall um, pretty good training volume, just had that cross training component. Yeah, definitely. Like I, like we were talking about earlier before we started recording, but like bikes one are just super fun, yeah. but it's also a lot of low intensity volume. Like if, yeah. if your legs or your joints are beat up, you can go cycle around for a couple hours uphill or whatever. And like you get a great workout and it's hard. I agree. And I also feel like it's actually a really good mental break too, because I'm not a particularly strong biker, but I think it's really joyful and it's really fun um, to go out and ride around on my bike. Like it's, it's what you do when you're a kid, right? You go out and ride bikes. And so to me, it's a very nice mental break to go out and feel like, okay, I'm not striving for PRs or Strava segments or anything. Like I'm just out pedaling my bike. And it's very, um, it's a very good way for me to recover my body, but also just to have a mental break on the days of the week that I'm biking. Definitely. I totally can relate to that. Like I, I love to listen to podcasts and like audibles and stuff while I ride, but not when I run, like I'd rather just be in silence when I run, but when I'm on my bike, I'm like, all right, it's podcast time or it's uh, whatever time. It's just so it's different, I guess. It's fun. Yeah, definitely. I I agree with that. So did you do any sort of strength training as well? Because if you're such low volume and stuff, it seems like most men and women are doing around hundred mile weeks, I guess, to be competitive. And if you're at 65, it's like, so you're supplementing with biking and then also any strength training in there as well. Yeah. So I adhere to David's approach on strength training, which is like, do the absolute minimum possible to, um, to support your running. Like when I'm at the gym, when I'm at the rec center, I'm not lifting weights to become a stronger weightlifter. I'm lifting weights to become a stronger runner. So, um, I'm doing a little bit of strength and mobility every single day, but it's such a basic routine. It's so short and it's so straightforward that there's no reason you would ever need to skip it. So like every single day I'm doing, um, like banded side steps and banded monster walks, um, doing, uh, David's mountain legs routine where you're just stepping up on the steps of your house. Like it's stuff that's so basic. It's like brushing your teeth that, you know, you actually do it every single day because it's so simple. Yeah. I think that's a great approach. Cause it's more of like, like being consistent is more important than having like maybe one or two incredible workouts every six mm-hmm. months or something. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I would say I'm doing like a little sprinkling of strength and mobility every single day, but it's very simple. It's very basic. Um, and it doesn't detract from what I'm doing with my running. It only supports the running. Definitely. And I've, I've noticed that as well. Like not that I'm, I'm winning Leadville by any means like you, but like when I do strength training consistently, like I just feel better. Like my, yeah. my runs feel better. Things hurt less, which may sound counterintuitive to a lot of people, but like it really does make a big difference. And I notice it the most, honestly, when I'm climbing. When I'm on like oh, yeah. a big, long, like ascent, you can just, you can just think, mm-hmm. oh, like, I feel good. I feel strong. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I do think it makes a big difference and it's so easy for us to overlook it because it's not as fun or glamorous as running, but I do think it helps, especially, um, like as you get older, you really, really need that strength, um, to offset injuries as well. Definitely. And, and like we were talking about before too, like I was we were talking about Leadville mountain bike stuff, but like I was listening to another podcast about, um, I don't know if it's specifically about Leadville, but they're talking about strength training and how having a solid core allows you to actually put all your power to the ground or more of it anyways. So whether that's on a bike or running, like it just makes sense. If you can actually be more efficient and put more power to your, to your feet, then you're going to have a better race. Right. 
I heard this amazing analogy, which sort of made me laugh. It was like, you can't um, launch a cannonball off a canoe. Like the, the, the base, the core has to be so strong that that power can be expressed outwardly. So um, anyway, I'm trying to get myself like not a, not a canoe so I can like really blast off when I'm running. <laughs> no, I like that analogy. It makes a lot of sense. Like a yeah. solid foundation is just going to be better for you. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And I think a lot of like, this is just me, like just kind of BSing about nothing, but I think a lot of times runners are like, Oh, if I lift, I'm going to get huge. It's like, oh, no, like, no. And even if you did, if your strength to weight ratio is up there, it's like, what does it matter? You're just, you're stronger and more durable. Totally. And I think you see in trail runners, like people with strong bodies, people with super strong legs, like they're crushing. I mean, go, go get strong, go get big muscles. I'm like always trying to put more meat on the bones. So like, go for it. It could have a really positive outcome for you. Yeah. And I think a lot of people too, that are specifically injury prone or either it's overuse or acute injuries would benefit a lot from strength training. Cause like like just say you fall on your shoulder, if you have more muscle mass there, that's going to absorb some of the blow versus breaking your collarbone or your shoulder or something. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah. So there's a lot of the stuff you're doing then just at home. Like you don't go to the gym and do a specific routine. It's all like pretty basic stuff. It's all easy enough that I could do it at home. Um, so like, again, it removes one more barrier to entry. Like you don't even have to go to the gym to do this stuff. I just have like some free weights and some bands and like the stairs in my house, it's very simple stuff, but I usually do go to the gym like once a week. Um, my kids like to do a gymnastics class at the rec center. And I use that as my time to like get in an uphill treadmill double and then put in some like bigger weight work. Like, you know, they have some heavier weights or some machines and I try to have fun just lifting some bigger weights one day a week. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. And, and honestly, like I don't know, like, like I'm traveling right now, like I was telling you earlier, like I'm out in the middle of Utah. It's like, well, I'm just out of my truck for a week doing like filmmaking stuff. And I'm just like, well, how can I get my strength training in? It's like, so I have a couple bands with me and like some of the stuff is kind of like, it probably looks ridiculous if somebody saw me doing it, but it's like the consistency is there. And it's like, yeah, yeah. here I am like working on bands in the middle of the desert, but like, it's just so beneficial that I don't feel like you should skip it. Like, even if you're traveling, like you're in a hotel room, you can do really basic things that pay off. Oh, totally. Yeah. You could be doing some lunges. You could be doing all kinds of fun stuff. So I agree. Like consistency is super key. Yeah. And like all those things are like easy too. like, once you like start a routine, it's like just keeping the consistency there is like yeah. pretty ideal. Yeah. But um, that's cool. It's super interesting. Cause I think we overthink a lot of things, but sometimes it's like simplicity is key. Mm-hmm. definitely and in, in the case of strength training simplicity has been key for me well let's talk about then like your your strategy and your goals going into leadville because like jp when i was talking to him about it his goal was simply i'm gonna win like it was yeah. like win or die like go all in like <laughs> did you have the, a similar attitude and goal or was it more of like let's see what i can do um with my fitness um a little bit of let's see what i can do um just because i knew there was a really talented field of women And you never know what kind of day you're going to have. But um, I felt strong going into it. I felt fit and prepared. And I felt like I had learned a lot from the first hundred that I did two years ago. Like going into that, I was very much a rookie. So I I had like a big bucket full of learning from that first hundred miler that I was going to bring to Leadville. Um, But when I took the line at any race, like I want to be competitive. Um, I want to try to stick my nose in with the top women. Um, and I want to try to race for the win. So when I spoke to David the day before the race, we were kind of having a little pre-race chat and the thinking was like, 
go for the podium, like have a great, if you have a great day, the stars could align and this could be, this could be an amazing outcome. Um, I, I was like too scared to say out loud, like, I want to win. I think I can win. That was in the back of my mind. It's always in the back of my mind. I don't know. It's like some kind of delusion that I hold on to that. I think I can be competitive with these top women. Um, but yeah, it was in the back of my mind for sure. Um, going out that day, but there's just so many variables. You never know what's going to happen in a hundred. I, I guess and this is kind of going to, I guess I'm going to kind of put you on the spot, but like, does it scare you to like, say your goal out loud like that? Like I'm going to go out here and podium at Leadville. Is that terrifying? Yes. yes it's very terrifying. <laughs> it's even scary for me to say that to my coach who knows like the ins and outs of my daily thinking around running. Um, it's very scary because it's like, um, yeah, it makes you feel vulnerable. And also it's like, how do you come up with the confidence to believe such outrageous things? You know, how do you like come up with the confidence to believe that you as a, as a middle-aged mom runner can compete with the best in the world? Um, but it's in there somewhere. Like I knew it, I knew that was within me. My husband knew it. I'd talked to him about it. Um, but it is scary to say that out loud. Yeah, I, I would agree, <laughs> especially at like a bigger race like Leadville. It's not some like turkey trot in your hometown or something. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then what was your strategy then? Was it kind of just, just go hard and run with like lead the whole way? Or did you have a sort of pacing strategy there? No, I feel like um, in a hundred, especially over variable terrain, it's like you just run with whatever your body gives you for that mile or that moment in time. So I was planning to just run by feel and keep it really comfortable and keep it aerobic as best I could. So, um, I knew from mile one, like, oh, I feel really good today. Uh, I just knew like things were clicking. My body felt amazing. I felt super relaxed and the paces were hot. So I was like, oh, this is a good day. And by the time I got to my crew for the first time, um, at May queen, it's about 13 miles in. I even told them like, this is my day. So I knew from the get go that I was feeling super good. Um, Devin Yanko took it out. Uh, she was in first and her pace was a little too fast for me. So I needed to let her go. Um, I didn't want to like try to race her in those early miles. So I let her go. Um, but yeah, the strategy was essentially like run well, when you feel good, like capitalize on that and then hike when you need to hike, hike early and often to stay in that aerobic zone. Um, yeah, and just kind of take it one mile at a time. Yeah. So what's that like then? Like, obviously you live at moderate altitude in Boulder, but like, are you accustomed to running at 10,000 feet and then climbing to 12-ish or whatever? I mean, what's Hope Pass? Is Hope Pass 12,000? It goes up. It goes up almost to 13,000. Oh, Hope yeah. Okay. Really oh, high. Yeah. I think it's yeah. like 12.6 or something. Okay. Um, I, that never feels easy. It always feels really, really hard. Even existing in Leadville is very hard. Like you're just walking up the steps and you're like totally <laughs> sucking air. Um, it's hard at that altitude, but I had trained a bit up high this summer and, um, and I felt good on those days I was doing that. So I just like imprinted that mentally. Like I feel good at altitude. I'm really strong at altitude. Um, that may or may not be true, but like, I just held on to that mental state of like, um, I feel good. Everybody's at 10,000 feet at the starting line. Everybody's at 12, six on hope pass. So it's an even playing field. Um, but yeah, it's hard. I do feel like you have to be conservative on the climbs to, you could easily just like push yourself over the edge into an anaerobic zone when you're at that high of altitude. 
Yeah, it's very easy. And I think you see a lot of people blow up at the turnaround because they, they they push hard up the hill and they have that long descent. That's kind of yeah. awful. And then they have to turn around and go do the same thing again. And yeah. this is kind of probably like a slap in the face, right? It is. It's so hard. It's so hard psychologically to go up and over Hope Pass and then turn around and think, I have to do that again. <laughs> yeah, it's a big climb. Like, I think a lot of people are like, okay, yeah, it's at altitude. But everyone kind of assumes Leadville's is a bunch of dirt roads. It's like, well, yeah, like there's a lot of flat. But then you have that massive climb and that makes a huge difference, especially if your legs are hammered from from running fast. And the, like like you're saying, the descent too, the descent like really crushes your legs. It's so steep coming down the backside of Hope Pass. It's so steep. Um, so yeah, it's not dirt road business. It's really a, a quad crusher. Yeah, that's for sure. And at altitude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think JP was saying when he when he got to the turnaround, he went back up and on the way down, he'll pass to like was that a mile like 60, whatever. Um yeah. he was just hammering down the the descent and he fell like two or three times, I think is what it was, because he was just in such a game mode, he was just flying down that descent. Oh my gosh, I believe it. And that's a challenging part because you're starting to pass the runners that are that are going out. So like that's the section of the trail where there's the most two-way traffic and it's on single track and it's technical and it's steep and people have trekking poles. That was a really challenging section for sure. Yeah. I, I, think, I wiped uh, out when I was out training on it. So like, it's not easy. Was that the back of your head as you're going down? You're like, oh crap, I'm going to fall again. Yes. No, <laughs> I, I mean, I learned a lot the day that I went out and trained Hope Pass, but like, I, I remembered exactly where I fell. Like, it's just so steep. The earth slid out from under me. Um, but I feel like that was to my advantage on race day. Like I knew where to be careful and conservative and where to push. Yeah, definitely. And so then after that, the big descent, yeah, do you have a lot of like moderate or mostly flat, I guess, but still like there's still some little climbs and stuff in there, but how did you feel then? Like knowing that you're in the lead and you've passed Devin Yanka? Cause like, she's a legit athlete and she's been around for <laughs> such a long time and it'd be hard to bet against her. Yes, absolutely. Devin is amazing and she's super accomplished as a runner. Um, and she has so many years of experience. Like when I passed her at mile 27, I did not assume she was out of the race. I figured like she was having some sort of problem and her crew was going to get her back up and running because she's so tough and she's so strong. So it wasn't until mile 37, I think ish, when I saw my crew and they said, Devin dropped, um, that it really hit me. I was like, oh, I'm winning the Leadville 100. Um, and that thought was so motivating. That thought gave me so much energy and so much power. Like I just ran with it the whole day. Um, I didn't feel scared about being in the lead. I, well, I did when I first passed Devin and I thought she was hunting from behind. <laughs> then I was a little scared. Um, but for the whole day, like knowing I was in the lead, it only gave me more energy and people were so encouraging and so supportive out on the course, like first female, um, even other runners. It was so amazing. So that only gave me more energy throughout the day. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about like that mental side of it, because when I was talking to JP, like he, I think he got passed by Rob Carr or he passed Rob. I don't remember exactly. And to him, that was just like, I just met my hero and my hero's congratulating me on my run right now, like mid race. And like that to him was just like the, the ultimate like motivating factor. So it sounds like with you is pretty similar, right? Where like you're out there and people are motivating you. So like, what was that mental aspect like to have all that positive encouragement out there on the trail? It was amazing. I feel really thankful. Like I was able to stay in a really positive mental state all day. 
um, I didn't really hit any super low points. I mean, maybe in like the last four miles, I can remember like my sister was pacing me and she was trying to talk to me. And I can remember just kind of responding with like a grunt or a growl. Like that was probably the low point. Like, oh, I, get the, I need to finish this thing. But um, for most of the day, I stayed in a really, really good mental space, just feeling really happy, really strong. Um, yeah, I mean, it was like my, my, my lifelong dream was unfolding in that moment. And I was aware of it. Um, I was having the best day of my life. I think, you know, interestingly, one thing that happened is like, when challenges came up or like unexpected things, for example, it started getting really hot. I was in such a good state of mind that I was like, it's okay. Heat is my strength. And like, heat's totally not my strength, but like my, my mind was in such a high place that it was willing to convince my body of that or same thing going over hope pass. It's really steep. And instead of getting down on it, my brain was like, it's okay. Steep climbs are definitely my strength. They're not my strength, <laughs> but it was just like, my brain was not going to let anything get me down that day it was a super positive mental state that's super interesting like the the power of the brain is pretty incredible i know we talk about a lot in ultra running in general but like i think it's way more um would be the word like there's way more to it than we can totally understand yes and yeah i agree i agree it's fascinating yeah it's pretty wild so then like what was it like running up the street you get that pretty long straight away and you can see the finish line knowing that you're going to win Leadville. Because at that point, you could just walk. You could walk the last mile. You're two hours ahead of the next female. <laughs> so like what's going through your head? Is this like dream come true or is what were you thinking? Total dream come true. So your whole your whole crew can run you in the last mile, 99 to 100. So um, I had just been like counting down the minutes until I got to mile 99 and I got back together with my whole crew. Um, and it was just the, the energy of reuniting with the group, with my husband, with my friend, Greg and Kim and John, like they had been out there with me most of the whole day. Um, you know, and my husband been out there with me for like years, like he has seen this day in and day out for years and to like reunite with them and the energy of getting the group together was unbelievable. We were just like running in totally in this feeling of disbelief like this is happening we did it we're doing it right now like just whooping and cheering <laughs> it was really fun and really amazing and I was completely dead um they were they kept looking ahead there was a stoplight behind the finish line and they kept saying Jay it's right there like that red light and I was like it's in front of that red light you know just I, I was so dead I couldn't make sense of it um but the energy was amazing yeah, I imagine that's pretty incredible to be running in there at night and yeah. I'm never going to forget that as long as I live. It was amazing. Yeah, definitely. Like, even in the photos, like, and obviously you're going to be stoked, but you just looked extremely excited, which is, is cool to see. Like you definitely earned yes. that. Yes. I mean, it was like, I, I knew that this was such a huge breakthrough moment for me um, that I was just ready to lose my mind when I crossed that finish line. <laughs> Yeah. That, so, you, so you mentioned the heat then. So um, like we we're talking about earlier, like it was warmer than usual. And even the, the week before um, the mountain bike race, it was pretty warm too. So like, what, what did you do for cooling? And did you even expect that? Cause you're saying it's not in reality, it's not really your strength, but you're able to, to kind of dupe yourself into thinking that it is one of your strengths. So did you have a strategy mm -hmm. in place for cooling? 
Well, I think I had practiced in heat enough to like feel confident or to at least trick myself into believing that I could do it and that it was my strength. But um, there, there is a strategy for cooling. And um, David Roach has published some articles about this too, about the benefits of keeping your core temperature low. Even like once it gets over 70 degrees, you might not think like 70 doesn't sound that hot, but 70 up at 10,000 feet is extremely hot. Um, and like 70 degrees will start taking a toll on you. So the strategy when I got to twin lakes was to just, um, load up with an ice bandana. So I had a bunch of ice on the back of my neck, put ice in my hat and put ice down my bra as well. And ice down my shorts. So it was like just icing the body as best I possibly could. Um, it made a huge difference going up and over hope pass. Cause it was hot on that climb and it was hot on the descent. And then I replenished all that ice when I got to Winfield the aid station crew there was amazing. They were like on it, getting ice back in the bandana, ice back down uh, my shirt. Like it was super helpful. And then I think we did one more round of ice when I got back down to Twin Lakes because it was still warm at that point too. Yeah, definitely. Like it is interesting, like how like 70 degrees at 10,000 feet can just feel like insanely hot. Like it's, yes. it's weird how intense it is. I agree. I agree. It's like, it's so hot up there at low temperatures. And that was definitely the case on race day. Yeah. Like I, I was out in Buena Vista the weekend of the race. Like we went up and did some 14 years and like, um, like it wasn't, didn't feel hot when we were out there. Like I didn't drink that much, but then the next day I was like, wow, I feel a little like, like yeah. fried, like not burned, but just like, I don't know how, if that really makes sense, but I just felt like there, I was definitely spent a day in the sun the day before. So I imagine you guys felt it as well. Yeah. It takes it out of you. No doubt. Yeah. So do you do like any like cooled bottles as well with ice in them or is it just simply topical cooling? No, I didn't have any cold bottles, but that's a good idea. Maybe I'd consider that in the future. Um, the only other thing I did is there's, there's a Creek crossing that goes out from twin lakes when you're going to hope pass. And I just made sure to like soak myself in that Creek as best I could, like just to stay as wet as possible, uh, going through that hot part of the day. <laughs> Another friend of mine, um, who ran, he didn't like yeah, he did okay he didn't have the greatest race of his life but he was telling me that like for him it was really hot and like every creek crossing he laid down and i was like well, that sounds like a western state strategy not really leadville but i guess yeah. when, it, when it's like that you gotta adapt right yeah that's right stay wet yeah <laughs> which it really does make a huge difference like myself like living in the desert like you i don't know you become accustomed to cooling i guess yeah you you would definitely get it if you're training yeah. in that environment yeah i guess boulders can be pretty similar though in the summer it gets pretty hot up there it can get really hot. If you get out early in the morning, you'll pretty consistently have cool temperatures. But if you're like nine o'clock, it's roasting. It's like the surface of the sun. It's so hot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I can imagine. <laughs> so let's talk about your nutritional strategy. Um, yeah. um, I'm I'm always really fascinated by this. And it's like everyone's so different. And like, I don't know. I, I know people who just like eat total trash and they perform well on it. And then others that are very detailed, their diet perform well on it. So let's start with the, like, the day before the race. I know Leadville has a very early start. So like, did you have dinner and lunch earlier that day to compensate for that? Or what did you do that day? Um, yeah, I'm trying to remember. I'm probably like, I'm on the borderline between like, I eat total trash and I'm very detailed about the trash that I eat. I know that's probably against your personal, um, <laughs> your personal philosophy, but um, the day before the race, I just wanted to make sure I was totally filled up on calories, totally filled up on carbs. So um, I was drinking Gatorade, which I don't usually drink, but um, I wanted to be super hydrated and I wanted the carbs from that Gatorade. Um, for lunch, we stopped in Leadville and had like a huge, amazing 
um, Mexican platter of like rice and beans, uh, enchiladas. It was phenomenal. Um, for dinner, I wanted to keep it a little more predictable and controlled. So I just ate pasta, like something I would have eaten a thousand times before then. Um, something that I knew would sit in my stomach. Um, and then waking up the morning of the race, same thing. Like I have, I always have packets of oatmeal, which is like brown sugar oatmeal. Um, but every single week before I go out on my long run and actually most days of the week, like I eat this same breakfast. So like, it's not even a question of, will this sit in my stomach? Like I know with a hundred percent certainty that this is going to be great. It's going to be fine. So I had oatmeal. Um, and then I think I was kind of sipping on some tailwind or sipping on some water heading into the start. It is hard to force yourself to eat at like two o'clock in the morning. Right. But, um, but we were in good spirits, my husband and my sister that morning. So we were just like pumping the, the pump up jams and like trying to force down this oatmeal. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then during the race, I like to aim for like 350 calories an hour um, if I can. So I get most of that from Tailwind. Um, Tailwind's like 100 calories a scoop, has a bunch of salt in it too, which is really good. Um, and then I do some spring energy gels. I love awesome sauce because um, it has a ton of calories and speed nut too has a lot of calories in it. Um, I eat fig bars, like fig Newtons type bars, um, just cause they go down easy and then they're super cheap. You can just buy them at the grocery store. Um, I was eating just entire slices of pizza once I got to twin lakes too. Um, and I think it helped to just like load in all those calories um, and I also take mashed potatoes. So my husband will make like instant mashed potatoes at an aid station and I slurp them down out of a baby food pouch. So that was kind of the, the ins and outs of the race day nutrition. Yeah. How many, um, grams of carbs do you think you took per hour? Just, just approximately. Cause I, I know it's very, oh, I, I have no educated answer to that question. Cause I haven't considered it in carbs. I only consider it in calories, okay. but I probably should consider it in carbs, but basically it's like, um, however many carbs would be in two scoops of tailwind and one spring energy, uh, you know, that might be an average. Okay. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. And I guess like two scoops of tailwind is probably like 30 carbs and then a, an awesome sauce is like, what are they like 20? Oh, no, I think it's higher than that. I, is it I really? But I don't, don't take my word on this because I haven't been calculating by carbs. So I can't give oh, yeah. you an educated answer. Oh, that's totally fine. I'm just very interested. Did, um, yeah. did having, okay, this, not to get too many details here, but like, did having Mexican food the night before, did that not scare you going into the race? Because like, I usually just try to keep things very bland and simple the night before a race or a long run, but like having Mexican food seems... Like, like a disaster waiting to happen. It seems like I was living on the edge um, <laughs> with that Mexican food. No, I think I, I feel pretty confident that my stomach's really solid. Um, yeah. And like Mexican food is something I'd eat all the time. So I didn't feel scared about that. Um, the only thing that can like really upset my stomach, I have celiac disease, so I have to eat gluten-free. So that's like mostly my main concern. I, there was a training run I did recently where I took a gel and just threw it up immediately um, I think it was actually because I had some trace amounts of gluten the night before. It wasn't related to the gel or the run. So um, I feel pretty confident that I can trust my gut. Um, and I haven't had any major GI problems in training or in racing. So, um, no, I was just enjoying that Mexican food to the to the fullest extent possible. 
<laughs> that's funny um when did you uh, get diagnosed with celiac is that something you've known about for a long time or is that recent um no it was a long time ago it was when i was a freshman in college um so i was like what like 18 or 19 years old so it was about 20 years ago it was a really long time ago it was half a lifetime ago and that was back when no one really knew what gluten-free was you know, you could like go to a health food store and they'd have like a dusty little loaf of gluten-free bread. Um, it was the wild west back then. And on top of that, um, I was a freshman in college. So I was living in the dorms and eating in the cafeteria. Like they had never heard of gluten-free. We had to go through every item on the menu and figure out like, what can I eat? And, you know, I was training, I was an athlete and suddenly it was like, oh man, I have no idea how to, how I can fuel myself. Um, in this context, but it was absolutely so fundamental and pivotal to get that diagnosis because prior to that, I had been getting stress fractures training at really low volume. Like even in high school, when I was training like 25 miles a week or something, I was getting stress fractures. And that's because with celiac disease, um, it's a, it's a problem with absorption. It's malabsorption. So you can be eating a healthy diet and supplementing and your body can't actually utilize those those vitamins or minerals. So as soon as I started on a gluten-free diet, I had a long stretch of no stress fractures. Actually, it was like a, a 20 year stretch until these recent fractures. So it was really, really critical to my overall health and my athletic health to have that celiac diagnosis. That's really interesting. I think it's it's something that we don't really talk enough about in running is like, everyone's like, okay, like I did my inside tracker and I'm low on iron or I'm low on this, but then it's like, even if you are eating those foods that are say iron rich or whatever that you're mm -hmm. deficient in, if you're not absorbing it, it's like, what's the point? Like, yeah. It doesn't really make any sense. And no one really wants to like think about gut health and how that can affect like your overall health as far as absorption goes. Yeah, definitely. I don't know that I would have been diagnosed if my, my mom hadn't been diagnosed. So I feel grateful that like her doctor figured it out. And then my siblings and I were all tested, um, you know, so I feel grateful that I had that relatively early diagnosis, but it can really cause so many problems undiagnosed celiac disease, and it can present so differently. Um, like honestly, low iron and stress fractures were my primary symptoms where for other people, they could have like a lifelong stomach ache. You know what I mean? So it just, it presents really differently. That's part of what makes it hard to diagnose. It is pretty fascinating. How like it might affect you differently than it would affect me or or yeah. somebody else like just like genetics and bodies are just are wild like it's it's really yeah. interesting <laughs> for sure yeah no it's cool though because on one hand it could seem like oh like that's oh, like a negative thing like oh, i have celiac but it's like well once you figure out like what's essentially causing your issue or a root of the problem you can fix it and i imagine things got a lot better for you if you're saying you had less stress fractures and yes definitely i mean i feel like having that information then it becomes your superpower like i know how to properly care for my body and and fuel my body um, you know, and in terms of diseases, it's pretty straightforward. If you can maintain a gluten-free diet, you're, you're healing yourself. You don't have to medicate in any other way. So, um, definitely it's really, really important to know that. Yeah. Did that change how you race then? Like, obviously that happened like what half a lifetime ago, like you said, yeah. but like the fact that you can't just go to an aid station, like grab whatever yeah. like goldfish off the table or whatever, or top ramen, like, does that mean you have to be very deliberate as far as your planning for, um, 
for race nutritional strategies? Yeah, it does. It does. I wish that there was more aid station food that I could just count on. Like it'll be there and I can grab that. But usually I end up, if I have to take from an aid station, I'm going to end up taking like a banana or gummy bears or something. Um, there's very few choices, but for that reason, I usually just end up carrying my own nutrition. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Like I, I myself for different reasons, like just basically carry everything. So it's like, yeah, because I'm like, well, I don't want to like rely on this aid station that may or may not have what I want. If I can just have it with no. me, it's like, it could be serving you Mexican food. It'd be a total disaster. <laughs> yeah. I think that'd be awful in a, in a fast race to be eating Mexican food. Like I love Mexican food. Don't get me wrong. But... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bad outcomes. Literally. Yeah. So then uh, as far as like, um, I don't post-race recovery goes, like what have you been doing? Like, did you do anything different, like nutritionally to eat a lot of food and that's it? Or did you have a specific like post-race plan that you follow? Uh, no, the plan is like, uh, eat as much food as possible. Um, it's really hard right after the race. Cause there's at least for me, like big waves of nausea, like you're so hungry and then you eat a little bit and the stomach's like, no, no, stop. Um, so for the first few days, there's kind of these waves of like hunger and nausea. And once that levels out, I just try to like eat as much as possible, um, and rest as much as possible. Um, it's not easy because I have two young kids. And so I'm still like out there playing four square and, you know, like biking around with them, which is wonderful. But, um, like my legs aren't working that well. <laughs> so it's starting to come around now. Um, the funny story is that my daughter went to school, like the Monday after the race and her teacher knew about the race. And she said, Rose, is, is your mom just walking on cloud nine? And my daughter was kind of confused. She's like, oh, she's not walking. <laughs> so it's just like in that post-race recovery, like pounding hydration, loading in tons of food, trying to catch up on sleep and rest as best I can, but also still playing Foursquare. Yeah, well, I imagine like a little bit of active recovery, like that's probably good for yeah. you versus just sitting on the couch and I uh, think so. And I think, you know, if you're like walking a little bit, it can help you figure out um, like what the problem spots are like, oh, something's wrong in that calf. I should start, I should start working that out. You know what I mean? So it can help you maybe get on top of that, um, like acute problems more quickly if you're moving around a little bit. Yeah, definitely. This is, it's going to help with recovery no matter what, even if it is a little painful, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> nice. Um, what's your uh, nutrition like in daily life? I know you said it's kind of half and half, but, um, do you kind of not think too much about it and just kind of eat gluten-free in general, or what do you, what do you do for that? Um, I feel like I have to be really intentional with getting enough calories. Um, okay. so I had a history when I was running in college, I was not eating enough. I was very, very thin. I was very under fueled. And I feel like part of that, um, you know, maybe part of that was linked into the celiac disease. Like at that time I got very good at restricting what I was eating because of the gluten-free, but then it also had this, this dark side of like, I was way under fueling my training. So I think I have a tendency to, um, like, uh, I naturally don't eat a ton. So I feel like when I'm really training hard, my main focus for nutrition is like, you need to eat a ton. So for example, um, I pretty much have the same breakfast every day. I'll have like oatmeal with walnuts and raisins, and I have some coffee with cream. Um, but then if I put in a big training effort, 
right when I come home, I make like a huge ball jar smoothie for myself. I try to make it like a thousand calories with whole milk and whole fat yogurt and protein powder and fruit just to like pound in those calories as best I can. Um, yeah. So I feel like that's my main emphasis nutritionally is like everything gluten-free, but, um, just like I have to put a lot of intention into loading it in to support the training that I'm doing. Yeah. I think, I think sometimes with running, like specifically ultra running, we go either one or two ways. Like people either chronically underfuel or mm-hmm. they chronically overfuel. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, I, I, yeah, that's, that's my perception anyways. Cause it seems like a lot of people do like the overfueling where they eat a lot of junk just after like, oh, I ran like a, a 15 mile run uh, or something. Yeah. And then it's like not real food and they're just eating yeah. a lot. And then they're still gaining weight. Like, why am I gaining weight? And it's kind of weird. But then there's also the opposite where you see this a lot where people just don't eat enough because it's like, well, I want to stay yeah. like race weight or something. And, but I yeah. think like, eating a lot is very important. I think it's really important. And I've just like, I've seen the downsides of that, even with these recent fractures um, that happened in the last year, like I was fueling with so much effort and so much intention. And I think I was just not keeping pace with my training still. Like I was still in a state of low energy availability, which leads to poor bone health. So like, despite the fact that I was like pounding whole milk and eating dessert every night, like it still wasn't enough to support what I was trying to do athletically. And then like outside of athletics as a parent or as a coach or whatever, um, I wasn't keeping pace with my nutritional needs. So I feel like my foundational mantra is, is what David Roach says, just eat enough always. And then if you're to broaden that out, it's eat enough, always eat too much. Sometimes eat not enough, never. That's like the philosophy that I need for my, for the working of my own body. I think it's a good take on it. Cause I don't know. You got to eat a lot. Like you're an athlete. It's what you're doing. And I, a friend of mine was telling me of a friend of his was kind of hearsay, but he was saying that like his friend wanted to like save money on food. And he'd be like, well, you're running 80, 90 miles a week. Like that should be like the last thing you want to save money on because there's no yeah. way your body's able to keep up under fueled for more than like a couple months, I guess. Oh, totally. Even a couple weeks, like they're seeing even the, the detriment of within day energy deficits. Like even if you have hours long windows of being under fueled, like that can start to add up and start to disrupt your endocrine system, disrupt bone health. Like it's so, it's so foundational. It's so fundamental that you're fueling the work you're doing. Yeah. We all have gotten hangry. So I think we can all yeah. understand that to some extent. Yeah. <laughs> well, something I forgot to ask you about during the race, like what did you do for caffeine? Cause with the race starting so early, like you're drinking coffee right now, I'm assuming. Um, it's, it's actually water. Is it just water? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a one cup a day lady. Like I, I can't get over caffeinated. <laughs> really? Like, I can easily get over caffeinated. Um, so I cut myself off. Okay. I guess it's only 9am, but okay. Yeah. 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 Um, no, I, I didn't drink coffee the morning of the race because often if I drink coffee and then start running, especially at altitude, like I just have to pee so much and I didn't want to deal with that. So I skipped coffee on the morning of the race, but I think early on I took a caffeinated tailwind. So like I was getting a little boost of caffeine. Um, I grabbed a couple gels from aid stations, like maybe the Hope Pass aid station and Winfield that were caffeinated, a couple goo roctane that had caffeine. Um, so I didn't really take much caffeine in the first half, but then in the second half, I had those couple, couple caffeinated gels. And then um, my crew started giving me some caffeinated tailwind. 
Um, I thought they had given me four sleeves of caffeinated tailwind, but I'm seeing two of them are still in my kitchen pantry. So I think I, I guess I only got two. I don't know, but it worked, whatever it was. But I do feel like um, if you don't consume a ton of caffeine, like just being a one cup a day kind of person, you can really feel the benefits of that caffeine if you take it um, as a stimulus for racing or training for sure. Yeah, definitely. I've noticed that a lot. Like when I cut back and then all of a sudden I, like, I consume a bunch, I'm like, holy crap, like you, yeah. you feel like wired. <laughs> totally. It's very potent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I always have mixed feelings on, on caffeine because like one, I love it, but I'm also like in longer races, I feel like it hits me in a negative way sometimes. Mm, interesting. But, um, what, do you, what do you mean by it hits you in a negative way? Um, I think I just pee a lot more because it's diuretic. Yes. And then I yes. think I, then I'm like, oh crap, now I got to drink more. It's just like this never ending cascade of like, I don't know, a peeing and drinking yes. a ton. So I don't know if it's yeah, a positive totally. for me. I know that's the problem. Well, it's good. You know that about yourself and then you can modify at least. Yeah. Maybe it's just like something I should come back with in, in general though. <laughs> maybe I should go to yeah. one cup a day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, um, we kind of start wrapping up here, but um, like, what do you got next for you? Like, I know it's been like a week or so since Leadville, maybe 10-ish days, but like, you got anything yeah. in the, on the radar? Um. I, yeah, I feel really stoked to get back to training and racing, but, um, I have the utmost respect for this recovery period. I'm not going to rush this recovery period. So, um, I just did like my first run back yesterday and truthfully it felt horrible. Like, um, with each, it, I started off feeling okay. And I thought, well, you know, it'll improve with each mile, but actually it got worse with each mile. Like <laughs> my pace got slower and my hamstrings got tighter. I was like, Oh, maybe this is too early. So we'll see. I, I think I, I think with races like Leadville that are up at altitude or races that are extremely steep or hot, there's like a really long tail of stress in your body from those. So, um, I'm just tiptoeing back into training and we'll see how it goes. So like step one is make sure that everything's all in one piece and it like regain some momentum with training. Um, you know, in Colorado, there's not many trail races that happen in the winter just because of the snow that the trail scene kind of simmers down in the winter. So I might do some faster, shorter races, like some sub ultra stuff. Um, just because I think that's fun. And I think running fast in the winter can really help you run strong in the summer. Um, I would love to get back into some golden ticket races. I did Bandera last year and I had a, a pretty good race. Um, it was fun, um, but I'd love to maybe toe the line at another golden ticket race this spring and see what's possible with that. Um, you know, right now we're hearing about like all the hype and excitement coming out of Chamonix for UTMB. Like that would be a dream come true to be racing over in France, um, over in Europe. So let's see. I mean, I feel like um, this breakthrough at Leadville, I'm hoping is the beginning of a new chapter and like, I'm ready to keep rolling with it. Yeah, definitely. And you sound stoked. So that's, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, uh, what golden ticket races are interesting to you? Cause because Bandera is not a golden ticket race anymore. Right. Oh, I hadn't heard that. You, you uh, know more than I do. Uh, someone told me that that might may or may not be true. So uh, <laughs> yeah, we're spreading me. rumors. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know anything about Bandera this year. I didn't, I didn't love Bandera. It was very hard for me to, um, to train for an ultra in Colorado winter conditions. Like 
my longest long run going into Bandera, I think the temperature never got above zero degrees that day. All the trails and bike paths were just iced in. Like I was not loving that training block. So I don't Bandera. I'm definitely not considering um, just because it's too hard. It was too unfun for me to prep up for an ultra in January in Colorado. Um, the plus I'd rather be like Nordic skiing or, or, you know, something random instead. Um, I don't know yet. Maybe canyons. We'll see. We'll see. Um, TBD. All right. Well, we'll have to touch base again next year. Yes. After you win a golden ticket. <laughs> oh man. Dreams come true, but yeah, that <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's, uh, let's wrap it up here then, um, with your dreams coming true eventually um where can people find you? you i know you're on instagram but are you strava and all that stuff too yeah i'm on instagram and i'm on strava and um you can really find me if you come to boulder i'll be out on the trails that's the best place to find me is just out in the world yeah it doesn't seem like you're super active on instagram so uh i guess no, real life I don't, is better. i don't love the the social media world um but it's it's fun to connect with with so many people it's fun to to connect with so many athletes but um yeah i think it's more fun to connect in real life yeah definitely well cool well thanks for talking it was fun it was good to hear about um how your race went and everything that you did for it like it's awesome and congrats again that's that's incredible yeah thank you so much for reaching out it was great to chat with you yeah you too and um yeah we'll definitely have to catch up next year that sounds good all right talk to you then <laughs>